The text this morning is from Luke 18, 15 through 17. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time. God, we thank you for this text. I pray for this sermon now, Lord. Pray that you be with Parker as he brings the message. God, uh, open our, our hearts and our minds to it so that we may learn and hear what you have to say to us. This is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, sometimes we misunderstand the value of something. You ever had a treasure that you've always loved and cherished, only to find out that it was worth absolutely nothing? But sometimes the opposite is true, too. When we look at something, we say, that's not worth anything. And we're wrong. In the 90s, a uh, truck driver bought a, uh, a picture from a thrift store. And he liked it, but not a lot. Not $7 a lot. So he whittled them down to $5. And he bought it to give to somebody as a gift. Uh, He got it home, and somebody came by, one of his friends, and said, you know, that that actually looks like a pretty decent painting. Such a bunch of squiggles and splatter paint. Well, after they found a partial fingerprint in the paint, it turned out to be... A Jackson Pollock. And at the last evaluation, it was worth $50 million. Now, according to the calculator I found online, I did not confirm this with our treasurer, that is a billion dollar, I mean, excuse me, billion percent return on investment. That's pretty good. Sometimes we look at something and say, that's not worth anything, but we're wrong. And that's what's going on in our text this morning. The disciples, the babies and children who were being brought to Jesus looked insignificant and unimportant, worthless, but in reality they were beloved in Jesus' eyes. They were precious to Him. They were objects of His love and were not to be shooed away, but to be embraced, taught, loved on. Indeed, not only did He value them, He said this is the example of how each one of us must be like in order to receive the kingdom of heaven, in order to become a Christian, in order to be saved. What's the scene here? Well, Jesus is in an area called Perea, uh, and he's in the middle of a teaching season in his ministry. In the crowds around him, there are Pharisees and sinners, the rich and the poor. And if the next uh, section comes immediately after this chronologically, then there's a rich young ruler standing over in the corner that Jesus is about to interact with. And in the midst of Jesus' teaching, apparently some young parents, probably mothers, brought their children, indeed their babies, their infants, according to this text, so that Jesus might bless them. Why were they doing this? Well, in the first century Greco-Roman world, the infant mortality rate was exceedingly high. Many Many children died before their first birthday. These were loving parents 
who were coming in faith. And they wanted the best for their children. They had seen what Jesus' touch could do. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus heals a leper. How? By touching him. He touched a leper. Not a casual touch either. Later in Luke 8, he heals the woman with the flow of blood. How? By when she touches his garment. His garment, not even him. In the same passage, Jesus heals Jairus' daughter, raises her from the dead by calling her. And guess what? Touching her. In Luke 13, he touches the woman with a disabling spirit and heals her and makes her straight. There's nothing magical about Jesus' touch. It's the one who was doing the touching or being touched. Here in their presence is the God-man Jesus. Here is Emmanuel, the Son of Man, the Son of God, the one who was promised, the creator of all things. And these mothers were bringing their children to Jesus in faith. Lord, bless our children. Indeed, in the Mark inversion, it tells us that they came to be for Jesus to lay his hands on them and to pray for them. They desired their children to survive. You don't have much to learn from these young mothers, don't we? To bring our children to Jesus, to entrust our children to Jesus. We take our children to doctors and praise God for them. Lizzie's at the doctor right now with an ear infection. We take them because God has given in His common grace, a doctor's wisdom of how to heal our children. But, but we prayed hard for Lizzie this morning too. We recognize any healing that comes will come ultimately from Jesus. We entrust our children, especially when we bring them to to baptism, that we unreservedly dedicate our children to the Lord and promise to live in humble reliance to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We ought to follow the example of these godly mothers and entrust our children, bring them to Jesus. But we should be careful not to follow the example of the disciples. (laughs) So, but let's put this in perspective here. Jesus is in the middle of teaching. And then all of a sudden, there's just this horde of mothers with crying, smelly, snotty-nosed babies. And they just start hoisting them on Jesus. The disciples who are acting like gatekeepers to Jesus, like the ones who are managing His time, you know, the man, the God who created all time, they're managing His time, And they say, no, 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 no. Don't you know, you can't. You can't waste the time of our master. He's got more important things to do here. What would the religious leaders think if he just stopped talking to them and teaching them when the young young ruler, young rich ruler standing in the corner, if he were to stop and talk to children? Because here's the thing. In the first century Greco-Roman world, children were not exactly highly esteemed. By the very nature of the fact that they died so much, they were seen as insignificant. They were seen as basically worthless. They had nothing to contribute to society. In fact, they were a drain on the economy. The people who were significant were adults, and children were non-adults. Now, this is clearly not the teaching of Scripture. It never has been. But this has become not just the Roman idea but all those who lived in the Roman world. We should be careful of having the same attitude towards children as the disciples, the religious leaders, right? 
while our society perhaps has gone a little too far in overvaluing children and letting their uh, schedules determine our own, we often don't value children. We just don't. Not in meaningful ways, at least. This word here that is used of infant, they are bringing their infants to Jesus, uh, to Jesus, can refer to three different stages of life. The first is the one used here, an infant. Generally a baby who is under a year old. If you made it to your first birthday, you had a greater um, chance, quote-unquote, of surviving. But it also referred to newborns. It refers to Jesus, actually, as a newborn child back in Luke chapter 2, using this Greek word. But did you know it also refers, in Luke chapter 1, to the unborn. The unborn, John the Baptist. Whom does Jesus love? All three of those. All three of those. How does our society not value children? Well, mostly by killing them. Talk about hindering children from coming to the Lord. But we hinder them through inactivity by not teaching our children the things of Jesus. It's amazing what little children can understand, isn't it? It's been fun to see the children's sermon. Sometimes you get the really funny answers. But oftentimes you get very profound answers. I've known children who are prayer warriors under the age of four or five. The Lord led me to Christ at age four, and I've known others at an earlier age. Indeed, I love a recent book I read on, on baptism. It's downstairs in our little book nook for your purchase on baptism. It's very helpful. And it uses the illustration of, you know, when you're a child, you never doubt that the color blue is blue. You might learn that the name of it is blue, but you never doubt it. And so often, some of our covenant children, those who are raised in Christian homes, will just always know that Jesus is their Lord. That's what I pray when I pray for the children. I get to the Lord's, I mean, the children's sermon, that they would never know a day where they don't know Jesus is their Savior. Children at a young age can learn a lot. In fact, it's not only that, but they must. Because 85% of believers become Christians by their early to mid-teens, and that's a 10, 20-year-old statistic. In reality, that number is probably a lot younger now. But if we want to reach people, we've got to reach children. Because as they get older, their hearts get harder. It's not to say the Lord can't save them. It's not to say that at all. My dad became a believer in his early 30s. But from a human perspective, it gets harder. So often we um, hinder our children through too much activity. Where it's just easier to do other things. Or our children are too tired to pay attention in church. Because we've kept them up too late. Perhaps we've got to think about that ourselves too. Um, you know, children's ministry is not peripheral to the ministry of the church. It's integral. It's part of what it means to be a church. Well, Jesus wasn't real happy. He looks over and sees what the disciples are doing. And the Matthew version of this text in Matthew 19 says that Jesus was indignant with his disciples. A, a word that means to be upset because of injustice. Now his disciples had already heard of what Jesus thought of children. This should not have been a surprise. It wasn't like, oh, Jesus? Really? Really? 
You like children now? Back in Luke chapter um, 9, Jesus pulls aside a child and says, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. He was angry with the disciples because the crowds understood more about Jesus' compassion for children than his religious leaders did. Than his followers who had been with him for months and years now. The crowds understood better of his love for children than his very disciples. Really? You don't understand, guys? By now you should know, I love the little ones. I love the little ones. The disciples were concerned about snot on his robe and, you know, uh, in case the Son of God was spat up upon. Or the disorder that Jesus just loved those kids. I love the King James Version here. Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. For of such is the kingdom of God. Jesus didn't seem to be scared of dirty pampers or colic or acid reflux. He wanted those kids. He wanted those kids. But it gets worse because these weren't just any kids. These were covenant children. These were children of the covenant. God has always made promises to his children and to their children, to believers and their children. Acts 2 verse 39, for the promise is for you and who else? For your children. God has dealt with this in a covenantal way ever since time began. And who were these children? Their parents were acting in faith to bring them to to, uh, Jesus. Jesus, help our children. This is a little one whom you love. And the disciples said, no. It's bad news. We ought not to emulate the disciples and confess when we do. Um, I confess this a lot as a parent. um, You know, it's just easier to turn the television on and put the, uh, the... TV trays out than to sit around the table and eat supper and talk about our days and do our devotional. It's a lot easier to do those things. It takes effort to love our children well and tell them about Jesus. Because it also means we have to live in a way that is worthy of our calling. That our profession, what we're telling our children and what we're doing line up. Lizzie, we've been teaching our children that um, you shouldn't use the word hate. Anytime we say something like, oh, I hate to hear that, <laughs> Lizzie will call us to the mat. <laughs> Mommy, you can't say hate. Um, we must bring children to Jesus. Do we value children like Jesus did? Bringing them discipline? They must have discipline. To see... Uh, God's authority structures on earth, they would, they would learn authority from us so that they could see there's one to whom that they are accountable to. We don't love our children if we withhold discipline from them. But do we love our children like Jesus does? Do we pray with and for them at home? It must begin at the home. Church is great. We should have our children in church. But it must begin at home. Are we being faithful to tell them of the things of our holy religion as our vows at baptism require us to? Are we being faithful to remind them that Jesus loves them? Are we being faithful to uh, tell them they need to repent of their sins when they sin against us? Not just against us, but they're also against God. 
We are called to teach our children about the Lord, as Deuteronomy 6 says, when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise, are we bringing our children to Jesus daily? And in church, too. As a, as a congregation, when we do uh, infant baptism, there's a vow for the congregation as well. Do you, assist, do you promise to assist the parents in the Christian nurture of this child? That means praying. That means volunteering to help. This means being willing to step up and help the parents when they need help. I know many of y'all have helped me and Christy. I'm very thankful for that. But Jesus goes on. It's not enough that we love children like Jesus loves them. He holds out these children as an example of how we're to come to salvation. Verse 17, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Those are pretty hard words. There's not a lot of wiggle room there. Shall not enter it. When it's talking about the kingdom of God here, this is shorthand for salvation. Saving faith in Christ Jesus. What does he mean here? He doesn't mean that we have to be blameless or sinless like children. Let me tell you something. Go hang out with some children and your belief in original sin will be bolstered very, very quickly. And the younger the better. Um, we are born into this world needing Jesus. That said, there are characteristics of children that point us to how we are to accept Christ for salvation. The first is being dependent and helpless. You know, the infants Jesus were handed... Um, were completely helpless. If he had dropped them, they would have gotten hurt. If the mothers hadn't fed them, they would have died. If someone had wanted to hurt them, there was nothing they could do to fight back. Isn't this a picture of our need for Jesus? We are completely helpless when it comes to our salvation. There is nothing that we can do in order to make God love us. We don't have to be better than our neighbor next to us, whether it's a good neighbor or a bad neighbor. It's not built on if we're good or bad, because we're all bad. We're all born to this world evil. Me, personally, you too. We need Jesus. and There's nothing we can do in and of ourselves to earn salvation. It doesn't work like that. We are helpless babes. Unless Jesus were to do something for us, we would not be saved. Unless He were to love us first and die on the cross, and be raised on the third day, then send forth His Spirit to apply in our hearts that which He has done for us on the cross, then we would not be saved. We are just like those babies, completely dependent on Him. The second characteristic of children is that you know, they, they receive gifts. Think back, if, if you have children now that are young, or think back when you did... And when you gave them a gift, how did they receive it? Oh, no, 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 this is too much, this is too much. You really shouldn't have. I can't accept this. No, this is what I've always wanted. And they just delight in what you've given them for at least 15 minutes. And this is what we're called to do too, to receive salvation as a gift. They, they delight in the gift, and we are to delight in the gift of salvation. You know, um, 
the first Westminster Shorter Catechism, what is the chief end or purpose of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and what? To enjoy Him forever. We get to enjoy having a right relationship with the Lord God Almighty who promises never to leave us, never to forsake us. He's not just going to let us go tomorrow. He loves us. The Father has adopted us into His family. We are, if we believe in Christ, given the right, the authority, to be called the children of God. It cannot be earned. It has to be received as a gift. It cannot be repaid. Children are good at receiving gifts. And we need to be good too. Because otherwise we would never receive salvation. And finally, they are given, um, unless they are given a reason to do otherwise, children trust, don't they? They trust. Unless we've given a reason otherwise, unless sin has been involved, children trust what their parents tell them. They haven't been hoodwinked by the world yet. Their worldviews have not been perverted by the things on television as much yet. They trust. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Oh, for grace to trust Him more. Isn't that the prayer we do this? We, we have the simple trust and salvation. Lord, I trust that what You have done for me on the cross is enough for my salvation, that You love me. Mark recently used an illustration in a Bible study we were teaching about what this trust looks like. When you, know, you jump out of an airplane, what are you trusting in? Your parachute. You're trusting that it's going to slow your descent enough to keep you alive. This is the kind of wholehearted trust we have in Jesus. There's no second shoot. This is it. And it's not just for salvation. It's also an ongoing daily thing. Lord, help me to trust you more. The same trust that children look and say, oh yeah, of course I'm going to eat next, you know, our next meal. Or, oh yeah, of course my parents love me. May I have that same kind of trust of my Savior. All this is possible, my friends, because for us to come to Christ as a child is because Christ came to us as a child. We can have salvation from God because God came to us as a child. For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The God of the universe who made all things, who made you, made everything in this, in this room, in this world, the one who governs all things, our judge, the one to whom we're accountable, he would step into this world, take on flesh, be born of a woman, be humbled and humiliated in a stall, the one who created all things, be born under the law and live the perfect life that we cannot live, fulfilling the law's demands and being the perfect sacrifice on the cross that all those who look to Him in trust, in faith, might have their sins forgiven and given eternal life and like Him rise from the dead when He comes back be with Him forever. Have you trusted in Jesus, the one who came to us as a child? Have you trusted Jesus? Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for our Savior who came to us as a child, took on flesh, and lived that we might live, and was cursed that we might be blessed. Lord, help us to value and love children, students, young people, like our Savior does, teaching them the ways of Jesus. May you use us to bring many children to a saving knowledge of salvation. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.